0: Welcome to episode 191 of The Digital Life, a show about our insights into the future of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Greetings, listeners. On this episode of The Digital Life, we're going to discuss automation and robotics, artificial intelligence, and machine learning. The McKinsey Institute just recently released a new study on the topic and uh, it had some interesting insights. I always enjoy checking out McKinsey research. They're uh, uh, particularly uh, good at uh, identifying future trends, and I thought this report, even though the uh, you know it was extremely long, and, and I think it took them two years to put together, so you can imagine you know hundreds of pages of text coming out of it. Indeed. Uh, but it it had some 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 great insights in, into automation that I thought we could. Uh, dig into today, Dirk. Sounds good. So, I, you know, I mentioned in the intro there that robotics, artificial intelligence, and, and machine learning are all uh, rapidly advancing. We've seen the the videos of the robots that seem almost human, I mean, to the point where you have empathy for them. Uh, artificial intelligence, of course, is powering things like uh, chatbots and um, Machine learning, of course, is uh, uh, powering uh, a lot of our software and uh, the IoT. So, so we've got these technologies coming together, and, and, and the overarching architecture for this is, is, comes under the moniker automation. But that means a lot of different things in a lot of different industries. Mm-hmm. So, so McKinsey took a, a broad look at it, um, and, and some of the conclusions they, they came up with, you know, are, are, you know, economic based conclusions, but there's also a lot of, uh, uh, technology questions to answer there as well. One of the interesting economic conclusions that they came to, uh, was that, uh, you know, we're, we're very worried about, about jobs going away for human beings. You know, all of a sudden, uh, this AI powered robots going to, uh, be handling all of the uh, uh, sort of blue-collar jobs in the factory, and then there's going to be this whole slew of, of people who are out of work. Uh, but actually, because in a lot of uh, Western nations, so much of the population is aging out of work, and there's just not as many uh, folks coming up uh, who who are going to be working age, um, there's actually going to be a labor shortage in, in many nations. I, I think the United States is is not uh, quite in as bad a shape as parts of Europe, mm-hmm. but essentially you're talking about a labor shortage. So if we're automating systems, at least in you know in certain parts of the West, um, you're basically just going to be making up for a lack of human beings who are uh, you know working age uh, over the course of you know the, the next few decades. Possibly. Uh, so, so that was one of the McKinsey conclusions. And it's, it's not something that you hear in this debate over, over job loss a lot because uh, you're you know, essentially presenting it as man versus machine when it very well could be man and machine working together. And then the question is, you know uh, what level of jobs are available for humans and how many human beings are there in the first place?
1: Yeah, and certainly man and machine are already working together. And, of course, I use man uh, in a gender-neutral way. Um, you know, have been working together for a long time. I mean, going back to the, the start of the Industrial Revolution and the tools are just getting smarter. And, you know, at least um, into the foreseeable future, it, they will remain tools and questions about the machines, you know, being, being their own... Um, you know, being, being their own sentient beings, it, we're not there yet. Uh, they remain in the realm of tools. But look, I mean, the evolution from, for example, the typewriter, the personal computer, was a massive tool upgrade, right? And the result of that upgrade was the, the general elimination of the role of the secretary. So for a long time, it, it was judged that it didn't make sense for a business person to learn the, the typewriter tool this complex tool that automates the, the creation of, of business communication, um, so you would hire operators who were expert in that to operate the tool while the business people did something else. Well, as the personal computer came about, now the computer offered more than just word processing. Now it offered, um, it was a screen that gave you data on what's happening with financials. It gave you different applications to use in a variety of ways, both from a productivity but also an entertainment standpoint, that was a reason to bring most business people to learn how to type and learn how to engage with the user interface um, that made um, made obsolete people who needed to be operators more or less just to use that tool. Um, so it's it's all about the evolution of tools and the tools getting smarter and roles going away. And so when, when you think about the fact that there aren't secretaries anymore, for the most part, there are some uh, executive assistants and administrative assistants, but the notion that I'm going to get an office, I'm going to get a secretary, that's long gone. And that's a product of the rise of the personal computer and the, and the tool making the change. And the reason I'm I'm harping on that example is that it's going to be changes in tools that make roles disappear. It's not that we all disappear, it's that there's roles in the ecosystems in which we operate that are going to disappear because tasks that were once done by the people will now be done increasingly by the tools or else made easier by the tools and so they'll be adopted by other people in the system, other roles in the system, as the roles that were more Dependent on or have now been replaced by those tools uh, become irrelevant. Essentially,
0: yeah, that's that's an excellent point. I think it's um, uh, you know apparent that the way all of us work is is going to uh, change significantly over time, especially as as things get automated. Another re- uh, report finding uh, uh, from McKinsey was that. Almost every occupation had partial automation potential. Uh, so, so like some uh, maybe 30% of your uh, role could be automated, whereas you know 70% couldn't. And and if you think about it, if you know 30% of your time is now free to do the things that. Uh, uh, you know either are more strategic or are more helpful to the business and, and you know 30% of the things that maybe you, you don't like doing very much because they're rote are, are taken away uh, you can start to see how how a number of positions are going to be uh, uh, changing and, and how the way we work is going to be changing mm-hmm. um, you know as as designers I don't know if we, Think about this quite as much as uh, you know other occupations, but there are certainly aspects of design uh, that are already being automated, um, and they're being you know done in in, in sort of uh, limited ways, and and maybe the tools haven't permeated the the whole industry yet, um, but they're there. So. Uh, uh, there's there's uh, an example that I like, uh, which is an AI driven uh, web layout service called I think it's called the Grid. The Grid, right? Um, which sounds like something from Tron, but it's actually real. So the Grid takes all your content and sort of figures out the best way to present it on the screen, and uh, and 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 how to update it, and and su- supposedly it's you know sort of push button. Uh, friendly dump in your content and the, the layout takes care of itself
1: uh, so, how does that work
0: yeah so so it's certainly certainly worth a try to, to, to see you know if, that, if that's a service that uh, uh, that we could benefit from but you can sort of see you know regardless of, of the veracity of that particular service you can see how you know parts of the design process uh, could you know very much be automated, leaving, you know, the designer to make the decisions about uh, what content to put in there in the first place, perhaps, or, you know, what audiences to select for, uh, uh, you know, the target so, so it's most effective, or, you know, some, some of the higher uh, uh, functioning tasks that come along with design. So, there you know, there are elements of the CEO's job that can be automated. There, there are elements of the administrative assistance job that can be automated. So all of us are going to end up having this, uh, uh, continuous change, continuous learning scenario, which is, you know, frankly, only, only just starting, uh, uh to come into our jobs right now. I am, you know, as, as much as we talk about like, Hey, we have to learn something new every day. I, like, I don't think that, um, you know, while I'm maybe learning more and changing more than, than maybe my father did at his job, I don't think I'm continuously changing and and, and incorporating new technologies. Um, I, I think the uh, the mandate for future work is going to be very much along the lines of continuous change and not something, I mean, something that's as comfortable as, as what we have right now. Your, your thoughts on that?
1: Well, first, I mean, while you were talking, I went to Google and checked the top five reviews on the grid and just scanned through. Um, they're all bad. They're all bad. Um, they all say lots of promise but makes bad design decisions. My website is crummy. I don't like it. So it ain't there yet. Um, so sorry, reframe your question for me again.
0: Yeah, so so, um, I I think we're going to... Uh, the the jobs of the future and and really starting now i think there's going to be a necessity for for continuous learning and change in in a way that um at at least i know can you know can make me uncomfortable when i when i see new technologies and maybe it's me just getting getting older but the idea of having to learn something new um on a regular basis every day walking into the office uh, in order to be relevant. Um, that's, that's, that's a different kind of challenge, I think.
1: Yeah, you know, Newsflash, I think we're already there. You so think so? I do, and here's why I think so. The, the rise of, of the technologies that we're using on a daily basis today the business technologies have been moving in lockstep with consumer technologies. So we are learning the iPhone and the iPad and these different contexts for computing, these different apps around them, in the context of our entire lives. So it's not at work and a course, so we don't think of it that way. But the reality is, I, I don't even know what to make the demarcation point. I guess I'll pick mobile, right? I mean, ever since the iPhone became the big hit and took mobile and, and ran away with, with mobile. Um, we have been continuously learning in our, in our use of technology, both from the hardware standpoint of going from the desktop computer metaphor from the late 1970s, that for, for almost 30 years ruled the roost, into a mobile, um, gestural, totally different um, totally different UI UI paradigm that additionally is dovetailing into sort of the late Web 2.0, network-connected apps, um, better user experiences, and new software stacks. So we have been for more than a decade now in this continuous learning process of shifting a to a new computing paradigm b to computing moving from for most people something at the periphery of their life to something at the central center of their life that's all been a gigantic learning process so the question is once once there's a divergence from personal behavior and professional behavior. Once those things aren't moving in lockstep as they have been for the last decade plus, then what does that look and feel like? Does it become difficult to stay educated on the things that you need to be educated on? Does it um, stretch people to, to be comfortable with certain technologies in order to do their jobs that don't necessarily overlap with the things that for them are in the personal sphere of how they interact with with, um, computing devices. Um, and I'm not sure about that, but I mean, my pithy answer is we've been already been doing it, kid. We just don't realize it because it's been so ingrained into how the entirety of our lives have changed, not just our professional lives.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a good point. I, I think the, um, the idea that that is both, uh, uh, perhaps invigorating and also intimidating is, is the idea that there could be whole, uh, whole realms of knowledge that you need to incorporate into your, um, into your practice in order to remain relevant. So uh, for instance, uh, I could see you know, parts of design becoming automated and, and now that you're designing, say for bio-inspired materials, you need to go out and understand more about biology. Um, every day right in in order For sure. to to be For be sure. be, uh, be a designer who can sort of play in this you know this next level of material design um, so so as much as I really love uh learning i mean and it, it's uh um sometimes i i I like familiarity I like to use the tools I know how to use I like to uh, uh sort of uh interact with people in the way that i'm used to yeah um so, so I can see that starting to calcify in me, and and I know I need to to shake that up because I I think all you know if this report is right from McKinsey over the next couple decades, uh, this idea of us having to evolve our jobs in conjunction with you know various automation, whether you know. Uh, whether it be from, you know, robotics on the factory floor or AI that helps us do our UX jobs better. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to have to uh, really work sort of hand in hand with this automation in, in order for... Uh, you know, for us to continue uh, working in the way that, that we're accustomed. Or, or I suppose if 30% of our job is automated, maybe we'll just work 70% of the time and have a few more days off. I guess that's the other the other side of it.
1: You know, John, I also love learning. The, the challenge is that we're all different in how we learn and what we're comfortable learning. So, you know, I can learn about history, civilization, um like the human animal, like how we function, sort of the the soft sciences bleeding into biology. I can learn about that stuff till like freaking cows come home, man, and be happy and feel energized. If you are forcing me to learn a foreign language, if you're forcing me to learn the hard sciences, basically any things that require a lot of rules, a lot of memorization, and a language abstraction, I'm miserable. Like I'm that's going to be super hard for me, and I'm either going to opt out or I'm going to be wicked unhappy in existing in that context. I'm one idiosyncratic person. Your definition of the things that you love to learn and get turned on by and the things that are a, a slog for you are gonna be different. The next person will be different. The next person will be different. And what makes this so difficult are those differences. And and you know, the world of technology and science is pulling in some very specific ways. The types of learning that we'll need to do are similarly specific. And. I don't think it comes down to love of learning in a general way. It comes down to dovetailing love of learning with finding places in which all of this is moving that, um, that you love and that you can learn um, and that fit for you as, as the unique individual that you are. And I think that's the tricky bit. And I think that's what's going to leave a lot of people behind, especially more on the design side, who opted into design precisely because it is not – the hard sciences and the engineering and and the things on that side of the ledger. So I think this this process of of sort of continuous learning in order to stay relevant and effective, um, it's gonna it's gonna challenge a lot of people in, in different ways. We we just have to hopefully all find our place.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree with that. I I think that relates also to one of the other uh, McKinsey findings, which is that. Uh, they're saying that that policymakers, you know, the the, the people who are helping uh, to, you know, structure at least part of our um, economy, will 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 need to, uh, you know, create uh, innovative policies to help people, you know, workers and institutions adapt uh, to all of this change. So so uh, you know, looking at this from a from a broader perspective, um, you know, I'm sure that. You know, you highlighted the differences, you know, between the way you know you and I like to learn. I'm sure we are also vastly different from, uh, you know, sort of uh, people who, who are doing jobs in other other fields that are are changing just as rapidly. So, bringing this continuous education uh, to uh, a broad swath of the workforce is is probably one of the one of the biggest challenges that we'll face. Um, you know, as a country, you know, going forward uh, into this new automated world, right? Like, how do you, with so many different learning styles, with so many um, uh, opportunities for change in a variety of industries, like, what are the tools that uh, enable people to to make this transition? Uh, and I, you know, I think that's going to be a a big a big problem to solve.
1: Yeah, and I mean, who are the people, right? I mean. You and I are are high performers to some degree. I mean, the the average person is an average performer, right? They're they're someone who going through school isn't necessarily the most engaged, the most um, loving learning and taking all of that in, right? So we're talking about you and I as high performers and how we may or may not adapt. And we see challenges for ourselves. What is it going to look like for someone who doesn't have the same internal drive to learn, doesn't have the same... Uh, sort of ambition, sort of pressure to improve self and uh, be successful. Um, for for someone who, who wants to live an ordinary life, for lack of a better word, and is a an ordinary person, which is how most people are and is perfectly fine, how do they fit into this weird amalgam of lifelong learning, needing wicked science and engineering, all these different things? like? there's a temperament issue like even beyond and before all of this different stuff um and so for me that's the bigger question it's like when we're talking about the people who already are high performers um who are generally people who we work with who have sort of opted into these spaces of 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 high tech um, it's easier it gets really hard once you get people who are wired a different way and as their more automated jobs go away and as they as animals um by through some combination of nature and nurture which i'm not qualified to point at and and tell how much is one how much is the other just aren't wired at this point to to jump in and really really participate with what is needed here what does that look like like that's where I start to get a little bit scared and concerned. How does this translate downstream? I don't know.
0: Yeah, that's uh, an excellent question. I th- I think, uh, you know, sort of, sort of uh, one of the last uh, uh, points I want to bring up from from the McKinsey report is that. Um, you know, this automation is not gonna happen overnight. And, and beyond sort of the initial technologies we discussed, there's all kinds of technical feasibility questions. There's how do you fit this technology to different industries, whether it be manufacturing, agriculture, uh, science, uh, high tech, uh, or even, you know, things like food service. You know, how, how, how does automation uh, uh, fit into that? So, so there are a lot of problems to solve uh, before, you know, you know, before, uh, this takes hold and, and will happen over a a long period of time, you know, perhaps decades. So part of, part of the question is how do we as a society, um, uh, sort of usher in this age? How do we make sure that there's, uh, you know, opportunities for people, uh, who, who want to work, but, uh, um, you know, perhaps they're, uh, not as good as, you know, learning how to, how to work with robots. Like what, what does, um, you know, what does all of that look like? Um, uh, I don't know either, but it, it is not going to happen overnight. So we do have an opportunity to, you know, address these challenges and sort of make decisions as a society, as a country, uh, so, so that our policies are, uh, Uh, beneficial to, you know, everybody who, who, you know, wants to keep working basically in this new age.
1: Hopefully, hopefully. And I mean, another complicating factor is that the the automation, the robotics, it's going to first be taking the jobs of perhaps the people least adept to learn anew, to redefine themselves, to really stretch into new spaces, which is just a further complicating factor for the whole dynamic.
0: Yeah, that's... uh... Definitely something that uh, uh, that's going to be a huge challenge going forward. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com, that's just one L in the digital life, and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody, so it's a rich information and resource to take advantage of while you're listening or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. You can find The Digital Life on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player FM, and Google Play. And if you want to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by Involution Studios, which you can check out at GoInvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk?
1: You can follow me on Twitter at D-Niemeyer. That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. And listeners, thank you so much for for giving us your time and, and listening to our show.
0: So that's it for episode 191 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time.